You are listening to the Wealth Without Bay Street podcast, a Canadian guide to building dependable wealth. Join your hosts, Richard Canfield and Jason Lowe, as they unlock the secrets to creating financial peace of mind in an uncertain world. Discover the strategies and mindsets to a financial future that you can bank on. Get our simple seven-step guide to becoming your own banker. It's easy. Head over to sevensteps.ca and learn exactly the learning process required for you to implement this amazing strategy into your financial life. That's sevensteps.ca. How exactly do you go about becoming a gold-backed bank? Well, we don't really know, but we're going to find out and we're going to learn what some of the challenges are in making that happen. And we are joined together uh, today here by the incredible Brett Oland, who is the current CEO of Bow Valley Credit Union. And for the last five years, has been steering that ship at the helm. Uh, he's 20 years as a chartered professional accountant. And uh, man, he's been in banking for 20 years. And we're going to learn a lot about banking. We, we talk about banking all the time on this program. But today, we're going to go down a little bit of a different track. And we're going to hear some of the challenges facing uh, the banking industry that Brett has identified. And we're going to share and learn quite a bit about what he's doing to change the game in that environment, at least when it comes to Alberta, Canada. Welcome, Brett. Thanks uh, for being on the program today. Well, thanks for having me. I, I don't know about the incredible part, but uh, we, we do what we can. So, well, and we appreciate uh, your advocacy. You know, on behalf of, of course, y- your stakeholders, your customers, um, and Albertans, and by proxy Canadians. I mean, uh, the ripple effect in the economy from the province of Alberta is uh, remarkable, and there's a lot of, I think, unintended consequences as a result of some of the proposed legislation and things that are going on backstage that you know folks may just not be aware of the constraints that that places on uh, credit unions uh, like yours and the fact that you want to keep capital moving because that's what keeps the economy thriving it's the heartbeat and circulation of the economy is money that's in motion and you keep it in motion through the process of lending being a deposit taking institution and creating opportunities for businesses to gain access to capital to scale quickly. And so my first question for you, uh, Brett, is what in, what inspired you to uh, take on the role at the Bow Valley Credit Union? What was that uh, trigger for you? Uh, well, I, I was happily semi-retired uh, in, in my previous role at, at a not-for-profit organization. And uh, I was looking at an ad and I saw that they were looking for board of director members. And, uh, you know, given my banking career, I was interested in that and got onto the board. And, uh, and there was a bit of a shakeup at, at the CEO level. And, uh, people kept on looking at me and I kept on looking at the ceiling and then keeping looking at me and I kept on looking at the floor and you know, finally agreed to do it. But, uh, yeah, I've been having a lot of fun, uh, in, in the role. It's, uh, institution where I think we can really make a difference especially given our value set to our membership and uh, really shake up the way the way uh, banking has traditionally done been done in the past so and what would that for for our viewers and listeners benefit what would the primary distinctions be between a, a credit union versus a, a a like a traditional bank if you will sure there's about four key distinctions uh, number one um, we're we're membership owned we're not shareholder owned. So anybody that does banking with our credit union 
is a member and you purchase uh, common shares within our organization and we do pay dividends on those common shares. So it's uh, you're, you're vested into the organization and, and, and our wins are your wins at the end of the year, um, you know, and um, based on, on the way we're paying it out, that works out to be about a six and a half percent dividend on, on your money, which is not too bad uh, in today's environment. Yeah. Um, secondly, uh, we're regulated provincially. We're not regulated federally. Um, so the federally regulated financial institutions are regulated by OSFI uh, under Minister Christina Freeland. Uh, we'll save our words for that. Uh, and so that's your RBCs, your BMOs, your Canadian Western Banks, um, your TDs, that type of thing are regulated. And there's a few larger credit unions that are regulated um, federally as well. Uh, we're regulated by the Credit Union Deposit Guarantee Corporation, uh, which is uh, provincial and they're headquartered in Edmonton. And they tend to generally have the better interest of Albertans in mind. Mm. Uh, and so it, it's, we have a great working relationship with, with our, our regulators uh, and, and their regular people that, that want to help uh, credit unions move forward. Um, another key distinction, the third key distinction is uh, we have a hundred percent deposit guarantee within Alberta. So mm-hmm. any deposit within our organization is, 100% insured, whether it's a dollar or 10 million, you're insured. Whereas with the, the uh, Schedule 1 banks uh, under the CDIC insurance, if, if you don't structure it properly, you're only insured up to 100,000. Right. Uh, so any dollar above that $100,000 limit is potentially at risk at, at uh, other financial institutions. And then finally, big distinction uh, number four is uh, we're, we make local decisions. So all of our staff are in Alberta. We have Alberta's best interest in mind. Um, what we typically see, uh, especially in oil downturns and that type of thing, that the bigger financial institutions will pull out of Alberta, basically say, well, these guys are done for a number of years. And, and we have a vested interest in seeing Alberta do well. So we want to be able to provide support, especially in the hard times, not just when it's good. So those are some pretty bigger distinctions within our organizations. So. Uh, I think those are really critical distinctions and a, and a couple that I want to you know touch on or highlight for, for our listeners who are very familiar with, of course, what we, we teach people about, which is the infinite banking concept. The idea of a mutual insurance company where you are, it is owned wholly by the participating policy owners is very similar in its you know general premise as the credit union, which is a member owned institution. And uh, so I think that's an important thing to, to identify. And, you know, you speaking specifically about the Albertan aspect, I would venture to guess, and maybe you could just, you know, quantify this. Other other provinces of Canada would have similar rules with uh, credit unions in their respective province. They would be provincially regulated, as you said, and in general, probably have the the uh, the, the province's citizens as more of their, their primary, obviously, customer base and, and who they would put their attention on. Um, and so I would imagine that that regardless of what province you're in, there's going to be a lot of similarities to the the baseline of how the credit unions operate. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, you are correct with that. Although in, in some provinces don't have the 100% guarantee, sometimes it's only up to about a $250,000 deposit uh, maximum. But for the most part, you are correct. They're provincially regulated um, institutions and, and operate 
pretty exclusively within the province that their jurisdiction is under. And, you know, Brett, what, what are some of the things that are worrying and, and troublesome right now that you're seeing that you think it would be important for viewers and listeners to to be aware of? I suspect a lot of this has to do with the most recent budget uh, of 2023 and some of the federal things that are looking at being amended or changed, like the Bank Act, the Insurance Companies Act, uh, et cetera. Sure. Yeah, I, I can touch on th- three different things. Um, um, back uh, during 2000, after 9-11, the uh, federal government and a lot of Western world governments implemented anti-terrorism acts um, to, to stop the funding with uh, through financial institutions. Um, you know, and I think the idea was safety and security in mind, but I think people need to remember as, as safety and security increases, your freedoms decrease. Um, and so they put in a bunch of rules around anti-money laundering sort of thing. And we saw over the past, uh, I think it was about 18, 19 months ago that uh, they, they used this act of FinTrack to basically freeze people's accounts um, that, that donated to the, the freedom convoy, the trucker convoy. Um, and I think some people were put in a very precarious position because they had their knees taken out, um, regardless of if, if they only donated $25 or something like that. So that's a fairly scary thing that, that came out. But, um, as a result of that, um, they looked at this tool and in the federal budget, they threw a whole bunch more money towards FinTrack, uh, including sort of uh, budgeted money for AI enhancements, criminal enhancements, uh, better links between the government and, uh, you know, FinTrack. Um, and, you know, that didn't really sit particularly well with me because I think anytime you're, you're mixing um, too much government interference with uh, basically economics, um, you're, you're going to run into challenges. And so mm-hmm. I, I think that's a, a bit of an issue right now that uh, we're, we're working to, to get past. A um, uh, couple other things that are, are on the forefront is uh, open banking. I'm not sure if you've heard of open banking. Before. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah, just, just in a nutshell, it, it basically, um, the simplest example I can use is if you start up a, a new accounting software, a new budgeting software or something like that, one of the first things it wants to do, it wants to link to your bank account. And so you, you basically allow it access, that third-party provider access to your bank account. You type in the information and, and it gets a, a, a picture of your financial transactions. Um, right now, it uses a technology called screen scraping. It's not terribly effective. Um, it just can grab dates and times and, and amounts and that type of thing. Um, the Canadian government, about three years ago, um, launched uh, uh, a process to... Um, create an open banking framework within Canada. So it's basically a legislated rules around open banking and how it uh, regulates. And my, my biggest beef with it is they created this framework so all the information is, is basically siphoned through a government agency. And so when, when you allow it, not only will open banking go to that one bank account that you assigned it to with the budgeting software, it'll actually go everywhere and grab information from other financial institutions, insurance companies, the CRA, 
Um, and, and basically what it does is siphon all of this information through this government agency and creates a complete financial picture of you. And so, uh, again, you can probably tell where I'm leaning, but uh, from, a, from a privacy standpoint, that I, doesn't sit very well with me. Um, so we're not opting into open banking. So we're not creating basically the pathway so anybody can get access to anything with, within our organization. We're legally allowed to do this. We're legally allowed to opt out of this. And I think that's something that uh, people need to be aware of and need to consider, uh, especially from a privacy standpoint, when you're dealing with financial institutions. So. No kidding. Like that, even the fact that that progressed from conversation into any form of action is just uh, mind-boggling. Yeah, exactly. Mind-boggling. It's, it's not like the government to do things in a very quick uh, status usually. So the fact they were able to put that together in three years alone is pretty astonishing. Let alone what it's up, what it's up to. Well, you're you're absolutely right. And, and there, there's one final thing I'll talk about and uh, sort of close the section with, with um, some concerns that maybe people have around it. But there's there's also a bill that's on the table, and I think it's past the third reading in the Senate, called B-15, and it's the Climate Risk Mitigation uh, Bill. Um, and it's a fairly benign document. It, it talks about um, greenhouse gas emissions and how we need to cut them down and, and do our parts and uh, worry about the climate and that type of thing. And it's, it's not particularly damning, but it does link to another bill, S-243, which uh, is directed towards the OSFI-regulated financial institutions. Uh, and particularly, they, they seem to be having their sights the oil and gas industry. So any oil and gas, oil and gas servicing. And uh, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit later, but capital is very important to financial institutions. Yeah, And they're increasing any lending that you need to do to uh, oil and gas companies uh, from basically by 1,250%. So if I needed a dollar of capital to uh, lend to an oil and gas service company, I would currently only need about 12.5 cents of capital to do that. Uh, going forward, after this bill is passed, it'll take a dollar fifty-six in capital to to lend to any dollar out to an oil and gas industry. That's so astonishing. Yeah, and and effectively, it, it's pretty clear that they're trying to take out the oil and gas industry at the knees by basically forcing the financial institutions not to lend to them. Become your own banker and take back control over your financial life. Hey, is this even possible? You may be asking, can I even do this? Well, you better believe it. In fact, it's easy to get going. So easy that we've put together a free report, Seven Simple Steps to Becoming Your Own Banker. Download it right now. Go to sevensteps.ca. That's sevensteps.ca. Now let's get back to the episode. What's amazing is that you know, your unique position to even read and go, you know, going through these types of documents, learning what's going on in the industry at the CEO level of a banking institution, you're uncovering something that virtually every Canadian citizen wouldn't even know exists unless maybe they were in the oil business and they actually were looking once seeking that type of financing and they might, they might have an advanced notice of this, but far and wide, I would venture to guess there's very few people even who would listen to our program that might even know that, 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 that level of overreach 
exists in uh, in in stipulating the lending capacity of a particular industry uh, to grow uh, its entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, and, and it's particularly uh, troublesome when you can read into the document and and um, see it could potentially easily go beyond just the oil and gas industry. Um, they talk about just basically greenhouse get, uh, gas emitting enterprises. So agriculture comes to mind, mining comes to mind. Um, if you're driving the wrong truck, perhaps that comes to mind. Um, if your house isn't insulated enough, it, mm -hmm. it comes to mind. And, and just to put it in perspective, a 1,250% increase in capital would move, say, a 5% a mortgage today to a 30% mortgage. So effectively, when your mortgage comes up for renewal, and all of a sudden it's 30% per annum, what because it, it would need to be in order for the lender to make any profit. Yeah, to like that's the that's the only that. way that the the function of lending is profitable, which is the whole basis of what you're doing. Right, right? you can't you can't operate as a, a now again. I'm not as familiar with you know the, the guidelines around credit unions, but if we if we shift to a conventional bank for a moment, you can't function as a conventional bank if you're if you don't keep capital moving if you're not if you're not literally in the in the banking sector, if you're not literally creating money where no money existed before, uh, it's not going to be long before you're not existing anymore. <laughs> well, 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 exactly, and and so you know, put on your tinfoil hats around that. But it, that's why it's especially important on, on what you gentlemen are doing is, is oh yeah, giving uh, a heads up that there are alternatives because I think. Yeah. A lot of people will start streaming towards private lending as well as credit unions because we don't fall under OSFI regulation right. um, for, for this type of lending because, frankly, um, you're absolutely right. It could potentially collapse industries in Alberta um, if, if it's mismanaged. So. Yeah. And um, I'm curious, just... Uh, you know, does the Minister of Finance office ever reach out to folks like yourself to say, hey, uh, shocker, there's going to be some unintended consequences here. Do you mind helping us identify what they are? <laughs> Funny you should say that. Uh, I actually did write a letter to, to Nate Horner here in Alberta, uh, the Minister of Finance, um, and it largely fell on deaf ears, um, just basically explaining exactly what I just explained here. Um, and, it, and it fell on deaf ears, which is uh, uh, very discouraging. And, and I find, you know, I don't want to get too political, but uh, politicians generally don't do anything unless they have to. So, yeah. Now, this is the same letter, I think, that had uh, 46 pages of uh, identified notes from the upcoming and proposed legislation with very specific identified components where, as CEO, in relation to Bow Valley Credit Union, you had specific asks that you were recommending really for the benefit, not just of your own institution, but actually of all credit unions in the province of Alberta uh, to, to be able to maybe suggest that the guidelines are modified uniquely for the credit unions. Uh, and there was a number of things that you identified in there, one of which actually I think will, will transition us to another part of the conversation is how you know bullion assets are currently being looked at as far as capital requirements are concerned for institutions and and so there's many other requests that you have in there 
So maybe there's a few that you'd like to speak to and highlight, but I, I definitely would like to, uh, to to zone in on that one as we go through our conversation here. Sure. Where do you where do you want to start? You want to start uh, so the specific asks were around basically the FinTrack reporting and, and yeah. um, not being allowed to uh, basically close people's accounts for for political donations. Um, the second ask was around this this B fifteen and basically hey pay attention this is a potential real whirlwind coming towards you buy a calculator <laughs> yeah yeah and and potentially they they didn't want to listen to me because we were even though we're considered a large credit union um we're, we're not a very big player in, in the grand scheme of things yeah the size of the lobby it, it doesn't weigh enough right for somebody to say hold on a second like we got to pay attention because this is going to cost us a lot of votes if we don't Correct. Yeah. And so yeah. that, that probably had some sway. And the third ask was around, um, recognizing, um, gold and silver as uh, a currency rather than a commodity. Currently in, in the Alberta Credit Union Act, um, the, uh, precious metals, gold and silver are considered commodities. Um, you know, rightly so. They, they probably could be, uh, and we we disagreed with that fact. We thought that they should be valued as a currency at fair market value. Um, a number of reasons for that. Um, new Basel III laws came out that that stated such. Um, it's traded daily. It's a very liquid asset. Um, it's recognized worldwide. So there's a number of things that it sort of pointed in the direction that it, that it could be uh, accommodated as a currency. The, uh, the minister um, or the, the uh, regulators disagreed with that, which, which is fine. Um, and but we we are allowed to hold it as as a true face value currency. So if anybody's ever looked at a, a gold coin, it has a fifty dollar face value if it's from the Royal Canadian Mint. And so we can carry it on our balance sheet at face value, but that's a significant markdown from the fair market value, which today is you know nudging up against $2,700 an ounce. So, um, which, which is an interesting story in itself that at one point somebody thought a one ounce gold coin was worth $50 today. The market value is worth 2,700, but that's sort of a, a different story. And is the balance sheet, um, you know, tallied up and segmented the same way, like in terms of tier one capital, total capital, all of that from a, no. A reporting, so, a reporting and accumulation, you know, requirement. I, I would love that if we were more on the standard of, of um, the Basel standards where we can count precious metals as a tier one equivalent to cash as capital. Yeah. Unfortunately, no, they force us to write it down. And so we carry it on our balance sheet at that $50 face value versus right. that, that 2700. So in a way, our balance sheet is significantly stronger than it looks on paper um, because we do have precious metals with, within you know, okay. our control. So now, now, one of the reasons that's important and the push for that and, and the ask, of course, that you recommended, uh, you know, basically to the Alberta government to be able to carry it at that fair market value is, you know, obviously just what the, the, what it looks like on their balance sheet, of course, being one, but then the the concept or the idea of, Going back to a much more traditional methodology of banking, where 
you know, a dollar could be pegged to something of physical value, such as gold or silver. And, you know, that is kind of the, the general premise, I think, of what direction you were looking to go down. And now there may be some challenges in creating uh, such a thing. So if, if any institution in Canada presently today wanted to go about doing that, what are some of the difficulties and challenges that they would face in trying to make that a reality? Uh, well, part of it is the government would be working against you. Um, their superpower, if you will, is the ability to create money out of thin air, create currency out of thin air. As soon as you peg it to something tangible, that superpower goes away. You know, and I, I could go down and ask much of the world's problems today are as a result of the government being able to print currency, but we'll, we'll potentially save that <laughs> for another time. But um, that's that's probably your biggest challenge is you're going to have the government standing in your way uh, to be able to do that. Uh, number two, as an organization, we can't back our deposits 100% with precious metals because as a financial institution, we need to be able to pay for our bills and pay for staff and pay for IT and that type of thing. And that's all paid in fiat currency. We need to be able to make a pot, uh, a profit on what we're doing. So we can't just be strictly a bullion bank where you're basically taking fiat and buy um, gold with it, that type of thing. It's So that's that's probably the, the next biggest problem that, that you're going to run into. Uh, it's that's probably enough <laughs> to, to stop the whole process. So, yeah. And so, so where, where, where do you see Bow Valley credit union in the next five to 10 years? What, what's really exciting you around some of the developments that you've got in the business plan for, for the credit union? Yeah, well, we have some significant themes around precious metals. Um, we, we have a partnership with silver gold bull. Um, they're, they're a Canadian wide dealer. They also deal in, us, um, the, the one of the biggest in Canada, um, and with through their partnership, we do retail sales um, of gold and silver, buying and selling silver, as well as storage. Um, they have a storage facility right within Calgary, which we like. Um, they're they're from Alberta. Um, they grew up in Alberta. They're, they're vested in Alberta. We like that as well. Um, along those same lines, we're not only trying to help. Um, people get protected from inflation and devaluation of currency through physical precious metals. But we're, we're in the late throes of uh, developing a program where you can actually lend against um, your, your precious metals. So it almost works like a home equity line of credit where you basically have, say, $10,000 worth of uh, gold value. You have it in storage. Oops, the furnace blew up. I need $5,000. Um, you can borrow against your precious metals and, and actually, um, you know, use fiat currency and, and almost leverage your position to some degree, mm -hmm. um, which generally people in the gold and silver precious metal space do not want to get rid of their precious metals. So this is a significant advantage for them. Um, in addition, uh, we're, uh, about a quarter away from, from launching um, uh, our gold-backed deposits where you can actually deposit Fiat currency, and uh, there's uh, no downside to it because you're you're guaranteed uh, on that, and you get paid interest on your fiat currency. But you can also take advantage if the price of precious metals goes up. So it basically works as 
a, a fiat currency um, to, uh, inflation hedge, if you will, um, for, for people that want to carry some fiat currency. Um, mm. Very interesting. Um, yeah, we, we think there's a particular big amount of interest around that. And that would increase your, your capital reserves as well, which is one of the things that you're looking to do if you can increase your deposits from that standpoint. Correct. Yeah. And uh, that's the bigger we get as an organization, the more capital we need, the more locations that, that we, we want, um, the more capital we need. Um, and, and it all goes towards that. And so it, it comes in mainly in two different ways, either through profitability, as mentioned just previously, or through common shares. People can actually purchase more common shares within our organization to, to allow us to expand and that's that's been a big theme of ours lately is is getting to more regions of Alberta, okay. Um, because we just find a huge amount of Albertans wanting and needing our service and our value set around this, and and to be able to do that, we the capital to to expand. So very very good. And at at you know again on your team. So what are you most proud of in terms of uh, you know community involvement? Things that the Bow Bo Valley Credit Union is really passionate about and. Um, what, what, uh, bright light do you want to shine on your team? Sure. I, I think, um, they're, they're a fantastic team and they, they've worked exceptionally hard over the last, even just 18 months has, has been very impressive to see. And I've been very happy with, with that. Um, and I think instilled with, within every member, uh, of our organization is, is a particular value set, um, and that, and that value set is, is like I, I like to say, is, is very agnostic to just about anything. So politically agnostic, um, health agnostic, religious agnostic. And I think it's um, been very interesting, let's say, over the past number of years where particular number of organizations virtue signal um, in spaces where they frankly don't belong. Um, we're not here to do that. Um, we're not health experts, so therefore we're not going to dictate to you what you should do as a health standard. Um, we're not political experts, so therefore we're not going to dictate to you what political advice we should give. We're, we're here for a financial service, um, maybe a little economics, but that's about it. So, yeah. Spells freedom to me. Speaking of the uh, the economics and, uh, and thinking about leverage um you know with with the institutions at least in canada we, we talked about this a little bit before we hit the record button you know other institutions in canada have a certain degree of uh leverage that can be created based on deposits that exist and and there's a pretty distinctual difference you were identifying between the credit unions versus you know the traditional commercial banks at least in canada can you expand on that a little bit for our listeners sure you know so as mentioned capital is king we, we need capital for everything we do. Um, and so you'll find that organizations that, that are over leveraged will definitely have, um, a capital multiple much higher. Um, so in traditional schedule one banks in Canada, they can go to a maximum about 23 times their capital. Um, and us as an organization typically like to keep it around eight, eight and a half percent. Mm -hmm. So significantly less leveraged. And other financial institutions. And just to give you a bit of a scope, like Lehman Brothers, when, when they blew up in 2008, they were leveraged 100 to 1. So um, that's sort of 
where you can get um, with with your leverage, and and um, it can cause significant problems if you are leveraged, as as we likely all experienced in your lives. Yeah. So, yeah, especially if capital stops moving. Correct. Yeah, and and which you know again the financial crisis, you know you had um, CEOs of some of the largest corporations in in America getting on the horn with uh, the Federal Reserve and saying, unless you get credit and capital moving, I can't buy raw materials. I can't pay the bills. I can't really do anything other than turn the lights off in the business. And I don't think people really truly had um, a really clear indication of just how close to the brink the financial system was to collapsing. And um, there's a really great movie that we we like to reference. It's uh, titled Too Big to Fail. And uh, there there were conversations going on leading up to the precipice of that. And um, these, you know, folks in Washington were saying, like, the American public has no idea what's about to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And you're you're bang on. It's it's not like bills weren't getting paid and things weren't happening. It's, It's basically just that credit stopped. Yeah, and so when when that happens, then um, there's there's going to be a cascading waterfall effect. Definitely, definitely. This was a lot of fun, Rich. Take us home. Well, Brett, we got to say I really appreciate you coming in to to share uh, a unique knowledge that you have, uh, both about the banking industry and what currently is being faced by the Canadian population, at least. And of course, for our American friends listening in, I'm sure uh, they'll be curious to find out what's happening uh, on their own home soil. And, you know, with the challenges you've identified and, uh, you know, again, I got to see the letter that you sent to the Minister of Finance. You know, you you may not have been wearing a superhero cape when you wrote that letter uh, and plans to send it to the government to let them know what changes you'd be recommending. Um, but you you are showing up to a Canadian citizen, at least to Albertans as a bit of a hero um, by taking a stance and and finding ways to create more freedom in banking uh, for them as citizenry. So we really appreciate that. And so our question for you, Red, is who would you most like to be a hero to? Oh, uh, you know, a big part of this, I, I got, I don't get angry much in my life, but I was pretty angry throughout uh, uh, when, when my kids weren't able to go to hockey and things were taken away from their, their youth. Um, so a large part of what I'm trying to do is just make sure that the freedoms that we enjoy today are past or or continued going forward, because I I think we have a really slippery slope and go down a very dark path if if we're not very careful. So, uh, agree 1000%, uh, Brett, it was, uh, just a real pleasure to have you and thank you. Thank you for your advocacy again. And work that you're doing there to uh to be a voice and and to be a voice of logic (laughs) which is largely absent out there nowadays and so thank you for for doing that on behalf of albertans and by proxy canadians because we're such a large contributor to the health of the canadian economy and um so we appreciate you thank you for being generous with your time and your knowledge and we look forward to having you back and we'll pick up the conversation on some of the things we were discussing before hitting the record button as well. And for all of our YouTube listeners and viewers, you just saw another video come up on the playlist. Thanks to our amazing editing team. 
The reason we do that is there's no such thing as having arrived in knowledge. There's always something new to learn. So we've recommended the next video that we would like for you to view and to continue your journey of learning. So gentlemen, this was a lot of fun. Make the rest of your week outstanding. And uh, thanks again. Thanks, Brett. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Without Bay Street podcast, where your wealth matters. Be sure to check out our social media channels for more great content. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and be sure to rate the show. We definitely appreciate it. And don't forget to share this episode with someone you care about. Join us on the next episode where we continue to uncover the financial tools, strategies, and the mindsets that maximize your wealth.